Well, good morning, church. It's another glorious day here at Pottstown Bible Church. Let me start off with reading you a scripture. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Psalm 62-8. So will you stand with me? We're going to raise a praise to the Lord Jesus Christ.
fall down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You are my desire No one else will do Cause nothing else can take your place To feel the warmth of your embrace Help me find a way To bring me back to you Come on, lift it up the ushers to come forward to collect the offering. Father, what a privilege it is to be called your children. And we have that privilege to call you Father. We are just so grateful for everything that you provide. Each week, Lord, we take this opportunity to give back a portion of what you provide. I ask that you would accept these offerings, that you would multiply them and use them to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Stay tuned for Pastor Jack. We're ready. Here we go. Amen, guys. So we're going to continue in our study of the book of Romans. We're going verse by verse through the book. I want to give you a heads up. There's a lot of material to cover here. If you have a pen, I encourage you to take some notes. We're going to define some terms because I want you to be able, when you read your scriptures, to have an understanding. What is the text saying to me? Not what am I reading into it. What is it saying to me? What am I drawing out of it? So we're going to cover some of them terms. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 18 of Romans 1. Then we're going to dig right into the text, church, okay? So follow along if you have a Bible handy or on the overheads. Again, Paul's writing this letter to this church at Rome that he wants to come see. So starting at verse 8. First, 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son. Very important there. The preaching of the gospel of his Son, that's Jesus Christ, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while I'm among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Look at verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, one of the most important verses for us to grasp hold of. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. To who? Everyone. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, that's the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is as written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Look at verse 18. This is where we start to deal with unbelief and the consequences of unbelief. Just verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, that's the word katek, the people that are forcing back, don't want to hear the truth of God, in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. So, let me stop there because I don't want to overwhelm us. So, I'm picking up where I left off in our last time together, which was verse 17. One of the questions I asked you guys, because I want you to have your thinking caps on, I want you to start digesting the scripture. I want you to really get into the text. And I asked you, what is faith? I asked you, if somebody asked you for a working definition of the word faith, what would you say? So faith, the Greek word is pistis, means belief, to trust in, to adhere to, to rely on, to have confidence in. That's, tr that's faith. Trusting in, adhering to. That's the part where some people have a problem. Relying on, having confidence in divine truths and moral conviction. Slide five. I want us to look at where that word is used when Paul wrote this letter to Ephesians. And you can see it up there. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There's that Greek word there, pisteos. For by grace you having been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. 
It is a gift of God. It is not by works. That's the word ergon, where we get the word work or occupation from, something we do, so that no one may boast. So you can see the text there. I have it up in the original. So you can see I'm just preaching what that text is saying to us. Okay? So what am I hoping this morning? Church, I am hoping by now that we have all come to understand that a person who is spiritually dead in their sins, physically alive, but spiritually dead in their sins, cannot make a decision of faith unless God himself breathes new spiritual life in that person and makes them alive, or as the King James says, quickens them. We do not have the power to do that in of ourselves. Listen, I've done enough funerals in my life. Dead people can't make themselves alive. Something else to understand here, and I want to make sure this is clear. Salvation isn't some paycheck. It's not a compensation plan because we're trying to be good people. As the text says there, it is a gift, a doron, a gift from God. You can't earn it. So what is faith? Faith, church, is the way through which this grace that God, who brings salvation to you and I, enters into our lives. Let me say it again. Faith is this channel through which this salvation, which is the grace of God, comes to you and I. It is through Christ alone, by his finished work on that cross, that saves us. So a man's first embracing of Christ is actually a faith given to him by God. So slide six. So then we have to ask this term, what does this term effectual calling mean? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, that's God the Holy Spirit, whereby God's Spirit convinces us of our sin and misery. Have you been convinced of your sin and misery yet? He is the one, God the Holy Spirit, who is a person, not a force, He is the one that enlightens our minds and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is the one that renews our will. God the Holy Spirit is the one who persuades us and enables us to embrace Christ as he has been freely offered to you and I in the gospel. It is a supernatural work of God. Listen, it is God alone who moves directly on our soul and makes you and I alive. It is God alone who puts new life into each of us. And without life, we can't do anything, church. We can't ask for life if we're already dead. So the first thing you and I need is life. You're being a Christian if you are, and myself being a Christian, listen, it is totally, entirely, 100% the result of God's work, not ours. We cannot make ourselves saved. Paul finishes Ephesians 2.9 with slide 7, not as a result of works, so then... No one may boast. Hear me this morning. Faith is not works. Faith is the instrument whereby you and I receive this righteousness from God. Many people today try to treat faith like it's some kind of law. You know, we hear things like, do you believe or don't you believe in my son? If you do, hey, you slip on into heaven. Hear me this morning. Church, it is Jesus Christ alone who is our justification. Only Jesus Christ alone is the one who can make you and I right with the Father. And it comes to us through faith. 
That is, again, the channel through which this righteousness of God is given to you and I. So then God justifies. What does that mean? He declares a sinner right through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Put up slide five. Back in Romans 1.17, Paul finishes up with what? The righteous man, slide 17, if you guys get it. I'm sorry, not slide, slide eight. My brain isn't working. <laughs> the righteous man shall live by faith. So we have to ask this question, okay, what does this word righteousness mean? Now here's where I want you to start to really understand and learn some terms, so when you're reading through the scriptures, you can gain a better understanding of what it says. The Greek word is deoxene. What does it mean? The act by which God brings people into a right relationship with himself. God's righteousness is the act or decision by which he, who is the judge, declares a person innocent. You and I can't do that on our own. So. Think about it. Let me read that one more time. He says, The righteous man shall live by faith. I don't have any righteousness of my own. I have nothing in myself that can make myself right with God on my own. Amen. So any righteousness I get, it comes from him. So what is he saying? The act by which God brings people into a right relationship with himself. God's righteousness is the act or decision by which he, who is the judge, is the one who declares a person innocent. So what do we have here? We have a righteousness from God. That's the act by where he makes you right with himself. Which comes to us how? By faith, trusting in, relying on, and adhering to him. And is given to us by faith. So God in his infinite wisdom. God in his love his mercy and compassion. Hear me this morning. He's the one that made a way for the unrighteous sinner, that's all of us, to be made righteous, to be declared innocent. What did he do? He imputed. There's that fancy word that we don't use that much anymore. We use the word credited. So what does the father do? He takes the righteousness of his only son and he credits it to you, even though you and I don't deserve it. That's the heart of the gospel, church. That's the good news. And as we learned in our last time together, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that good news. So I, I hope that we are never ashamed of sharing that good news as well. I read to you when I preached last time, God tells us in a couple different places in Scripture that he's not ashamed of us. Yet we're the sinner. A couple other points to point out that we need to address this morning. Slide 9. So we define faith as trusting in, adhering to, relying on, having confidence in. Divine truths, a moral conviction. Hebrews 11.6. Take a look at Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But Pastor Jack, I come to church on Sunday. That ain't going to do it. Oh, I put a couple coins in the plate. That ain't going to do it. I helped the old lady walk across the street. That ain't going to do it. Without faith, without trusting in Christ, adhering to Him, relying on Him, having confidence in Him, it is impossible to please the Father. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Are you seeking Him, church? Are you listening around the world? Are you seeking Him? So belief, as it is emphasized here, 
speaks of this being made alive and persuaded in our hearts. So our heart must be involved. Slide 10. Finally, having been persuaded, you embrace these truths. Your mind is involved, church. Your heart is involved. Your will is involved. Listen, just because somebody tells you they believe the Word of God doesn't prove they're saved. Even the demons tremble and believe. <clears throat> Let me ask you these tough questions this morning because your life depends on it. Have you been persuaded? Have you embraced the truth? Have you, church, individual, person, have you made this confession of faith with the obedience of faith. You know, you made the confession of faith, I believe, I believe. Are you walking it out? Are you living it out? In obedience to Christ. You see, the men spoken of in Hebrews 11 didn't just say some quick sinner's prayer and went on living like God never existed, like the world. Church, they came out of the world. Let me say it again. They came out of the world. You don't have to stay on that slide. In Genesis 12... I want you to hear this about Abraham. He leaves his country, his familiar surroundings, to live in tents, not knowing where the Lord would send him. This is what it says in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said, Abram, Abraham, or Abram, I want you to go forth, leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your daddy's house. I want you to go to this land, which I'm going to show you, Abram. You see, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you'll be established. That's what he said. So what did Abraham do, like I just said? He left his family, surroundings, to live in tents. He's walking by faith, not by sight. Many of the people in Hebrews 11 suffered horribly for their faith. Slide. Faith. Well, true faith is not dormant. It involves action on your part. Ask yourself this question this morning, church. How are you living out your faith? You see, your heart's got to be involved, not lip service. Do you have a love for God? Do you love Him? Listen, there's something else that needs to be said here. There also must be evidence of change in your lives. And this change because the Holy Spirit's now indwelling you, leads to action, leads to genuine confession. Ask yourself this question. Is there any evidence of true conversion in your life? Or are you still living the way you lived before you said you got saved? Not just lip service to God on a Sunday morning. Slide 12. Here's some other diagnostic questions to really ask yourself. <clears throat> Do you still love the world? And the things of the world? Do you have a genuine remorse when you sin? Not just attrition. Attrition means I'm only sad and upset because I got caught. Contrition, there's a deep grieving in your heart because you know you've sinned against God. Does that happen to you when you sin? Do you still live like you used to live before you said you got saved? Slide 13. And be proud of my wife. She was able to put the Greek up here. We do that to make Dr. Carter happy. Do not love the world. Just put up slide 14. And one more. 
Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. The cosmon, that's the word there. If anyone loves, now by the way, that word love there, you see that's agapitoi or agapite? We've learned in this church about the different types of love. You've got the agape love, we got the phileo love, the astorge love, which is a love for a brother and a sister, and the eros love, which really isn't in the, in the uh, scripture, but that's the erotic love that's, that's used as that language. The agape love is important because that is an act of your will. That is a commitment you make. Like, I love my wife, and it's not based on her performance. I made a commitment to love her no matter what. That's agape love. Phileo love is the kind of love you have for your friends. It's what we call brotherly love. If you learn to say the word Philadelphia enough, you speak Greek. What do you mean, Pastor Jack? Phileo means love. Adolphus means brother. So Philadelphia or Adolphus is brotherly love. But Paul, or I'm sorry, John here is saying do not love the cosmon, the world. Don't love the things in the world. He's saying don't have an act of your will committed to this worldly system and lifestyle. It's going to let you down every time. Don't do it. Do not have that an attachment to the world or any of the things in the world. Why? He says, if anyone agapes the world, the love of the painter, the love of the Father is not in him. Very important that we see that. You can get to slide 15. Okay? For all that is in the world. Now see that word there, lust of the flesh? That's the word epithemia. That's yearning after something which is forbidden, which God says, don't do it. Thou shalt not. So you got the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. If anybody's been to an eye doctor, that's where we get the word optometry from. Ophthalmos, the lust of the eyes, are the things that you're gazing on that have hijacked your heart, that are moving you away from God to love the things in the world. And the boastful pride of life, that's the word bios, that's where we get the word biology from. That is not from the Father, but from the world. You see that, church? Why am I saying that? Well, church, a very specific character of faith. Listen, now this is really important. I'm hoping you're just getting this. A very specific characteristic of you and I living out our faith. Listen, it looks away from self and it finds its whole interest in a person whose name is Jesus Christ. Do you hear me this morning? A character of faith. I am looking away from self. I'm looking away from the things of the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. And my interest is in my intimate, ongoing, personal relationship with Christ. So that anything... Other than a complete trusting in, relying on, adhering to, and depending on Christ is not true faith in a biblical sense. So when a person comes to this consciousness of his or her own inability to do anything that would literally turn away God's wrath and win his favor, that person is finally ready to trust in and believe in Christ alone who bore that wrath and curse on the cross. When a person's mouth is closed and they realize they have no act by where they can make themselves right with God on their own and they start to see their indwelling sin for what it is, that's where that turning, 
That's where that turning, that metanoia, turning away from the world, and turning into Christ comes. Slide 16. Here's Paul writing to this church at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. Paul's saying, listen, we should always give thanks to God for you. He's thanking God for these believers in Thessalonica, church. He says, brothers, you beloved of the Lord. Why? God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through being set apart, sanctification, being set apart by the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, and, and faith in the truth. And Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Dead people can't choose him. Verse 14, it was for this, he called you, Kletos, he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's something that really blows my mind. As I was hiding under my desk because of my own indwelling sin. This is what blows my mind. God the Holy Spirit comes to us while you and I were spiritually dead, lost, blind, hopeless sinners. That should bring us all to tears. When you were spiritually dead, estranged from God, alienated from God, wanting all the trinkets and blessings from God while you're running away from Him, God the Holy Spirit comes to us while we're in that condition to rescue us from ourselves. You see, it is God the Father that gives you and I a heart for Christ that didn't exist before. So when he calls you, as we just read in the verse, then you are given ears to hear that clarion call of the gospel. Look with me at verse 18. Slide 17. Here's where we get into the other part of it. For the wrath of God, that's the problem. People don't, they drink iniquity like water. They don't scare, they're not, they don't fear God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So something is being revealed from heaven. And it's against all ungodliness, it's against all unrighteousness of men, and there's that word suppress, that's the word kataka, that's that pushing away. I don't want your truth, God. I want to live things on my own terms. Forcing back. Katako. They're suppressing that truth and unrighteousness. So what have we done? We've looked closely at how God has continually revealed the EU Galilean, the gospel. And now we see that, because it's a present active verb, he's continually revealing his wrath. Why? As I said earlier, man does not have a righteousness of his own. There's no act by which you on your own or me on my own can make ourselves right with God. It's all his work and all his plans. So let's look at this a little bit. The wrath of God is revealed. That's slide 18. So now we're going to define some terms because I want you to really gain as much understanding as you can 
What is the Bible saying to me? Because someday, here's one thing you're all going to, we can all agree on. Someday you're going to drop dead. And it's over. And if everything that God has said in his word is true, and you don't have a relationship with him, you're in trouble. So let's look at these terms. Slide 18. What did Paul mean when Paul used the word ungodliness? Asibia. Or asibe, I should say. Well, the word ungodliness means to be immoral, profane, wicked. Church, this idea of ungodliness carries with it the idea, listen, of this, this total defiance towards God and a desire for evil and worldly things. That's the definition of the word ungodliness as we use it in our English language. Total defiance. Remember, you know, the, the, who suppressed that forcing back? That is defiance towards God. It is, in essence, church, you are living a, an ungodly life. You have no respect for God. You have no respect for his law. But Paul doesn't stop there. Slide 19. He rivets it with the word unrighteousness. A decay. A decay. That which does not conform to justice. Evil doing. Also morally wrong. Iniquity. Illegal. Shameful behavior. Shameful behavior. So you have two terms there. When you're looking at ungodliness, be thinking about profane, wicked behavior that is in total defiance towards God. And when you look at the word unrighteousness, look at things that are not conforming to justice, illegal, shameful behavior. Slide 20. Then we have that word wrath, which is the Greek word orge. That's a very, very strong word. It's a the strong, violent passion, the seething passion and anger. The whole implication here as we go through this text, is judgment. Judgment, church. Paul says that this wrath, this anger, is against all unrighteousness. What does this mean for you and I this morning? It means that anyone who is ungodly and unrighteous is under God's wrath, his punishment. And there's no exceptions. But in slide 21, but then he uses the word revealed. Apocalypto means to unveil, take the cover off. It's something that you're now able to see. Okay? It's also, as I said earlier, present active verb. What does that mean? It means there is a continual revealing. This continual revealing of God's anger against sin. This wrath. Paul wants them to understand, as well as you and I, church, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, hear me this morning. You're not judged by your occupation, your profession, your skin color, your nationality. You and I are judged by our relationship to God. That's how we're judged, church. See, many people today, they live this defeated, messed up life. And Paul wants these people that are living these defeated, screwed up, messed up lives that he has something that will give them hope and victory over that. This is just as important for you and I today. 
you know, as I've gone through Paul's letter here, he seems very concerned with man's relationship to God. He's very interested in how man stands in God's sight. You know, if we go back through the Old Testament, if we travel back in time, we would see the prophets constantly warning Israel, constantly about their relationship to God. Hear me this morning. We too must be concerned with our standing and position with God as well. Now, I know this isn't a feel-good topic. I know this isn't a kumbaya, lovey-lovey moment. But that needs to be taught. We need to know about the wrath of God. It's very important that it, we understand that it's being revealed. So we have learned sin corrupts our whole being, our nature. All of us, if we want to be clean with God this morning, have our own disorderly affections. And you, we are all, by our very nature, children of wrath. Slide 22. We're almost done. So what does Paul say as he continues in Ephesians? Paul says, listen, among the two, we too, Paul says, we, we too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We also indulged in the desires of the flesh, the desires of the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath, just like everyone else. Now, I hear from a lot of churches today, especially the stuff on TV, they say things like this. God is a God of love. He's a God of peace. He's a kind God, and he's a good God. So he would never pour out his wrath on people. That's what happens when you're not studying the scriptures. That's a lie. Don't believe it. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Many people today are very opposed to the idea of God's wrath. Now, it is true, God is a God of love, peace, and joy, but he is also a God of justice. And listen, make no mistake about it. He will not let sin in heaven. If you are not washed by the crimson blood of Jesus Christ, where your sins are paid for on the cross, you're not going to end up there. Paul uses the word wrath throughout the book of Romans, I believe some, maybe ten times. He's very concerned about people hearing the gospel because the wrath of God is being revealed because of ungodliness and unrighteousness. How about slide 23? How about Paul writing to the church of Corinth? A lot of sexual immorality going on there. Temple prostitutes. Today we call them massage parlors. Oh, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. What does Paul say? We must, how many? All, All appear before the Bema seat of Christ, that each one of us may be reconciled or compensated for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. I hope that we're manifest to you also in your conscience. Knowing the fear of the Lord. We must all appear before the judgment seat. So either your judgment was settled already when you came to a saving faith in Christ and you believe he died on that cross for your sins, or you're going to pay for it. Fear of the Lord. So by now, church, and I'm, I'm rounding it around, I'm coming close, I hope we've come to realize that this is not some gospel of entertainment. It's serious, serious business. Slide 24. Paul also writing to the church in Rome, and we'll be studying this later on. Much more than having now been made right, declared right, how? By his 
blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Listen, people are said, well, we're saved from hell. No, the Bible says you're saved from God's wrath. God provided every one of you with the very sacrifice he demanded from every one of you when he sent his only unique son to be beaten, bloody, punched in the face, crown of thorns shoved on his skull, flesh ripped and torn off his back, blood shed everywhere to save you from the wrath that he's going to bring upon people, especially on Judgment Day, if they die without Christ. I'm just preaching what the text says. Save from the wrath through him. Paul is making it clear why the wrath of God is continually being revealed. All right, slide 25. Here's where it gets really, really uncomfortable. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, guys, don't you know, don't you fully understand, Gnosis, that the unrighteous, we already defined that term, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's right there. He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. By the way, that word fornication there is the word pornea, where we get the word pornography from. Unlawful sexual behavior. Fornicators. Idolaters. You're worshiping something in creation rather than the creator themselves. Adulterers. Having a relationship with somebody when you're still married to somebody else. By the way, if you're part of the bride of Christ... Stop committing adultery on him by going after things in the world instead of him. I got quiet there. Ooh, ouch. Nor the effeminate or homosexual. I'm sorry. LGBTQ is sin. It is an attack on the sovereignty of holy God who created them male and female. He didn't create a shim. He created male and female. I'm just preaching what the text says. But listen, all sin is offense to God. Let's not hyper-elevate the, 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 the sinful snare they're caught in, because God can save them too. And your sins are just as evil in his eyes as that sin. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, that's the prototype of all addictions today, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. And this is not an exhaustive list. But church, it doesn't get any more plain and clear. You either believe that God is telling you the truth when he says that, or you don't. Here we're getting a clear description of what these things are. And church, this is why the wrath of God, present active earth, is continually being revealed. He says, don't you know? Don't you understand? Aren't you sure of this yet? Let me see if I can finish this up. I want us to be truthful with the Lord this morning. Here's how we can be truthful. All of us, every single one of us, are very good experts at rationalizing our own sins and failures. We can so easily condemn others when we see them in them. But isn't it interesting when we have to look inside, we all of a sudden develop these cataracts. We get these cataracts. We can't see our own sin. But we can clearly see it, 2020 and everybody else. But then all of a sudden we get the cataracts when it comes to our own sin. The Word of God is the visee treatment to get the red out. Amen? 
No one likes to be made miserable. We certainly don't like to be condemned. So all of us can become experts at defending ourselves. What does John in his gospel teach us? Slide 26. First John 1 John 1.6 If we say, and there's churches out there to preach that once you get saved, you don't sin anymore. Another lie from the pit of the hell. If we say that we have koinonia, fellowship with him, that's a shared intimate relationship with him, and yet our walk, our parapeteo, our way of life is still in the darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. I know that hits hard. If we say that we have this intimate fellowship, this koinonia with Christ, and yet our whole way of life is still walking in the darkness... I'm going to go down here to my drug dealer today. I'm going to go to the bar and get lit today. I'm going to do this. Even though I know I shouldn't be doing it, I'm going to do it. We lie and we do not practice the truth. Paul is speaking here of a person's habitual, ongoing conduct who is being defiled by these sins and as a result has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. He's not talking about when we slip and sin. Every one of us sin every day in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, and motives. He's talking to people who deliberately know and still practice it as a way of life when they already know it's wrong. They're going to spit in God's face and do it their own way regardless of how God thinks about it. That's what, if we say we have intimacy and fellowship with Him, and yet our parapeteo, our walk, our way of life is in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. That's what he says. How about the Hebrew warning in Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, slide 27. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from what we've heard. Look at verse 2, church. This is sobering scripture. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Look at this believer. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was first spoken through the Lord and confirmed to us by those who heard. Think for me, think with me for a moment about your daily life. Looking over the past week of your life, just the past seven days. Let me ask you some sobering questions here. Let's just take the past seven days. What are those things that cause you to drift away from time alone in God's Word? I want you to think. Forget me, I'm insignificant. I'm going to ask you this because I, I so badly want to see you literally just soaking in the Scripture into your mind, in your heart, your soul. Past week, what are those things that cause you to drift away from alone time being in the Word of God? Is it video games? Uh, with the thumbs. Uh. The cell phone. Scroll, 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 scroll. Hello, hello. Facebook. TikTok. Instagram. Sports. Unhealthy relationships. What are those things 
Now, take a look at that time. Forget me. You're, you, you know your schedule better than me. Look at all the time spent on this, and then, then how much time did you allow God to speak to you? Getting on your knees, being alone with him. Slide 28. Drift away so that we do not drift away. It has the idea of drifting off course. It's a nautical term. The idea here uh, of drift away, if we can get a nautical term, is the idea of a ship. It's drifted off course. It's drifted past the harbor. Why the helmsman forgot to steer the boat. God's word will always steer you in the right direction. Did you ever notice that drifting, because we become so accustomed to things that want to make the pain go away. Oh, we want to look at these things because then we're not thinking about the responsibility we have and it makes the pain go away. And so this drifting can go unnoticed. My question to you is what have you been anchoring your life on? If you're anchoring it on your government, God help you. God help you. I don't care what your political affiliation is. Church, the tides and the currents of this fallen world are constantly trying to pull you away from God to destroy you. You have an enemy that wants to destroy you. What sirens of the world are preoccupying my heart and my mind and your heart and your mind so that we're not giving much thought to Christ at all? What, what are we paying attention to that's not him? What has hijacked your heart? It's quiet in here, Dr. Carter. I don't know. Hear me. If you do not, as you saw the heeding warning in Hebrews, if you do not pay careful attention to your spiritual life, you will find it will disintegrate all by itself. You know, I, I hear, and it makes, it just bothers me. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian pastor, Jack. I don't have to go. To, I'm not saying that. But, but the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You see, Paul makes it clear in other scriptures, we are responsible for each other. Coming to church should be a time of celebrating Christ. It's a time for healing. It's a hospital. It's a place where you can come and just focus your attention on glorifying God and ministering to each other. I'm not interested in looking at a TV evangelist through my toes on the bed. I'm sorry. If you call that Christianity, then we have a very different definition of it. Or I'm going to get hate mail on that one, Dr. Carter, but it's all right. We don't want our spiritual life to become dull. So we become less and less interested in spiritual things. And this holiday season, all of the trinkets are going to be hanging and dangling in there. And all the world, the world wants to make Christmas. Spend your money now. Go into debt. I don't care if you ever paid a bill. Oh, I'm getting really, it's getting quiet now. That's what Christmas is to the world. But that's not, that's not what Christmas is. So be careful that you don't drift away. Don't let the world suck you in and drift you away. Slide 29. Peter says, It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. 
And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? By the way, Peter's writing to believers. Paul, as I'm going through this, whether it's the church of Thessalonica, the church of Corinth, the church of Rome, these letters were penned to people that were supposed to be professing believers. Keep that in mind. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, those who have been made right by Christ are saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? I believe this is why Paul is boasting in the gospel. This is why he so earnestly wanted to preach it to everyone. How about you? Hear me this morning. The whole business of the gospel is to bring people to a saving relationship in Christ, to bring them to God. It is not to fill churches. It is to reconcile people to God to save them from the wrath to come, Romans 1.18. So as I'm finishing up, those who believe the gospel, those who have come to a saving faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ are going to begin to experience a blessing and a peace that comes from God. And they get this glimpse of this blessed hope. Is that happening to you? As we look at wrath, we really see that it's all about God's hatred of sin. Everything that is opposed to God is hateful to God. Everything that belongs to the realm of darkness and sin is abhorrent to God. And God is clearly showing his hatred of it. It's part of his holiness, church. Now, sadly, the unbeliever, the person who is spiritually dead in their sins, is somebody that's going to reject this teaching. The unbeliever has no interest in anything that I've shared with you the past 30 minutes this morning. As the righteousness of God has been revealed, verse 17, so the wrath of God is also being revealed as the scriptures teach us. Our responsibility, if you are a true follower of Christ, is to warn people and announce the good news to them. So now we need to finish up the last couple minutes. Well, Pastor Jack, how has it been revealed? How has it been revealed? Slide 30. Well, church, one way we see it revealed, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get this done, but I'm going to try. One way to see this revealed is in the conscience. Latin, conscience, with knowledge. Where do we see that in Scripture? Oh, I'm so glad you guys asked that question. How about Romans 2, 15 and 16? In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their what? What's it doing? What's the conscience doing? Bearing witness in their thoughts, alternately accusing or defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the what? Your secret thought life is 100% visible to God. And here, here's the funny part about it. Here's the rub. God knew what your secret thought life was going to be zillions of years before he knit you in your mother's womb. Now, think about that. How much God must really love you. He knew every rotten, filthy, sinful thing that you and me have ever done or will do before he even invented time and planet Earth. Because he's the same yesterday, today, forever. Hold on. How about slide 31? 1 Timothy 4.2. By means of hypocrisy, that's pretending to be something that you're really not. 
and of liars, seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. Here's something I want you to tell about conscience, and I'm going to have to finish this up next week. Here's something about conscience. Pretend for a real quick moment I have a stove here, turn the burners on, and it's getting really, really hot. The thing's starting to glow. Here's something about the conscience you have to, when we talk about searing the conscience. If I take your hand and I put it in front of it, immediately you're going to pull it back because you can feel the heat and the pain coming through your nerve endings. But if I start to cut those nerve endings off, sooner or later your hand could be in the fire and you don't feel anything at all. Beware of your conscience. Protect your conscience. How? Get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. All right, let me, let me close because I know it's, it's run out of time. We'll pick up on this next week. Let's bow our heads this morning real quick. I know, as my father-in-law likes to say, it's a lot to fit in your ear. I know we covered a lot of material this morning. I want you to take just a moment, forget about everybody else here, forget about me, and do business with God. If there is in your life right now, if there is in your life some ongoing sin right now in your life, I'm going to ask you to talk to Jesus about it. You can't conquer it on your own. I can't conquer it on my own. Hear me this morning. Whatever that sin is, ask the Lord to help you. Talk to Jesus about it. If you are here this morning, you listening around the world through Sermon Audio or Facebook, wherever you're at, if your heart has been convicted, if you realize that you have disobeyed God, you have treated Him horribly, and you sense Him gnawing at your heart right now, because He wants you to come to Him, hear me. Hear the words from my mouth this morning. I'm going to ask you to surrender your life to Christ as he's been freely offered to you in the gospel. Repent means to turn away. Confess your sins. He says if we confess our sin. If is a conditional clause. If we confess our sin. He is then faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there is ongoing sin, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you this morning, now is the time. Now is the time for you to get right with God. You don't know if this afternoon it will be your last day on earth. You don't know if you're going to be killed. It is pointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. Please understand, you do not get a second chance. I am sorry. There's nowhere in any of the 66 canonical books of Scripture that there's a purgatory or you get a second chance. It's not in there. It's not there. It is appointed. There is an appointed time for you to die and then the judgment. And 2 Corinthians 5 says that you're going to have to appear before that judgment seat of Christ to give an account. I'm going to ask you again this morning. I sense the Holy Spirit very strong here this morning. I know the Holy Spirit is talking to someone. If you have unconfessed sin, now is the time for you to ask the Lord to forgive you. Don't give them lip service. If there's not genuine contrition, if there's not any grief in your heart that you really know that you've offended God and sinned against them, that's attrition if you're doing it the other way. Genuine confession. 
of your sin to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you. Place your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you on that cross at Calvary. His blood was shed so that you could live. Hear me. You may be in another country right now. It may be midnight. I don't know. Hear me. Now is the time. Now is the time for you to get right with God. I know he's talking to somebody. Place your faith and trust. Trust in him. Rely on him. Have confidence in him. Walk in obedience with him. Spend time in the word. Get plugged into the Bible studies at a good Bible-believing church, wherever you're at in this world. Plug in where the Bible is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. It is not church history, then the Bible. It is the Bible. Everything is subordinated under the Scripture. Find a church that is willing to do that with you. And Father, we thank you for this time together.